You are listening to audio from Liberty Church in the Harrisburg Camp Hill area of Pennsylvania. For more information, please visit www.LibertyHarrisburg.org. That's Liberty with an I, Harrisburg.org. Uh, if you have Bibles, we are in Luke chapter 2 this morning. Luke chapter 2, uh, page 857, if you're using one of the black hardcover Bibles. And this morning we are continuing our uh, Christ of the Carols series that we started last week. Uh, Every Advent, and you've probably noticed this if you've been around Liberty some, even this season, every Advent, in addition to singing Christmas carols, uh, we incorporate a wreath into our celebrations. Uh, And each candle of the Advent wreath represents something that we both anticipate and realize in the person and work of Jesus. So hope and joy and love And as you heard uh, Bill and Ginny share a little while ago this morning, the the second Sunday in Advent today, uh, the candle represents peace. Here's what I'm going to ask you to to consider uh, with the time we have this morning. What differentiates real substantial peace from a superficial surface level kind of peace? What, in other words, makes the difference between a real end to hostility and enmity and war, a world that actually experiences peace, and a naive desire or hope or expectation that people can just get along. Or to put it another way, what makes a Christian Christmas carol about peace different from the pat answer of a Miss America contestant? What, what differentiates a Christian Christmas carol from the pat answer of a Miss America contestant? And what we see in the Bible, what we see in our own lives is that peace is only as powerful as the one who brings it. And so to omit Jesus from our longings and from our labors for peace is to forfeit any hope of true peace. There's a number of Christmas carols that that make peace the main theme of of the carol. Uh, The one we're looking at today is called It Came Upon the Midnight Clear. And it was written in 1849 by a minister from Massachusetts named Edmund Sears. Let me read uh, the lyrics to this. You can find them on the insert in your bulletin. Uh, On that front side of that insert are four of the original five verses. And here's here's how they go. It came upon the midnight clear, that glorious song of old, from angels bending near the earth to touch their harps of gold. Peace on the earth, goodwill to men, from heaven's all gracious king. The world in solemn stillness lay to hear the angels sing. Still through the cloven skies they come with peaceful wings unfurled, and still their heavenly music floats o'er all the weary world. Above its sad and lowly plains they bend on hovering wing, and ever o'er its babble sounds the blessed angels sing. And ye beneath life's crushing load, whose forms are bending low, who toil along the climbing way with painful steps, and slow. Look now, for glad and golden hours come swiftly on the wing. O rest beside the weary road and hear the angels sing. For lo, the days are hastening on by prophet seen of old, when with the ever circling years shall come the time foretold, when peace shall over all the earth its ancient splendors fling, and the whole world send back the song which now the angels sing. So this carol, as you're hearing, 
is all about the angels announcing peace. And it's all about the the real good news that that peace is for the world. And so we're going to explore the account of uh, that this carol is based on, which comes in the Gospel of Luke chapter 2. So let me pray for us, and then we'll dive in to Luke 2. Let me pray. Jesus, uh, as we are celebrating throughout this season and and this morning, you are Emmanuel. You are God with us. And you are the God who is to come. And so as we long for your coming, help us now to see your glory and your love and to see your peace through the reading and preaching of your word. We pray all of this, Jesus, in your name. Amen. I invite you now to listen with open ears to this book that we love. This is the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, and I'll begin in verse 8. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. The angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find the baby wrapped in in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Verse 13, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. This is God's word. Three things uh, for us to briefly consider this morning. I know you were expecting something different, but I'm going to stick with three. And there's an alliteration in there too. So here we go. Our need for peace, good news of peace, and our neglect of peace. Our need for peace, good news of peace, and our neglect of peace. So first, let's talk about our need for peace. Uh, In Luke chapter 2, these angels come proclaiming peace, proclaiming peace on earth, because humanity so desperately needs it. We were created for peace. We were created for peace. We have a deeply ingrained longing for peace because we were made to be at peace with God and to be at peace with his good creation and to be at peace with each other. But sin has has ruined and corrupted all three of those dimensions. So we are not at peace with each other. Edmund Sears, who, who wrote this Christmas carol, He was an abolitionist. And so when he writes about life's crushing load, he's he's talking about more than the everyday burdens of life that we experience. It certainly includes that. It's not less than that. But in his day, there were literal crushing loads being laid upon the backs of slaves. There were image bearers of God bending low, toiling with painful steps, painful and slow steps. And it goes without saying that if one group is enslaving another group, they are not at peace, not in any kind of meaningful, substantial way. On top of that, Edmund Sears wrote this song about a dozen years before the start of the Civil War. And so the fifth original stanza, the one we did not get a chance to read this morning, it's all about how humanity is always at war. There's always groups warring against each other. Now, Edmund Sears was a pacifist. And we don't have time this morning to get into the nuances of pacifism versus this idea of what's called a just war. But for now, it would be enough to know that this song was written against the backdrop of rapidly increasing tension in the United States. Tension which 
not long after, boiled over into a civil war. So people were about to go to war, not with another country, not with people unlike them, but with their own countrymen. It was really obvious to Edmund Sears that people were not at peace with each other. Nor are people at peace with God's creation. All creation has been affected, has been corrupted by humanity's fall into sin. In Romans chapter 8, the Apostle Paul writes that creation itself is groaning, is longing for redemption. And we experience that in, in things like natural disasters, like floods and hurricanes and earthquakes. But we also experience that in our own physical created bodies. Edmund Sears was plagued by both mental and physical illness for the majority of his adult life. He battled both depression and poor health. Uh, He had to retire at a relatively young age uh, from being the pastor of a pretty prominent large church so that he could go and pastor a smaller rural church because he wasn't able to mentally or physically keep up with the, the demands of the larger congregation. And so when he writes in this song about the weariness of life, when he writes about the sadness, when he writes about the lowliness of life in this world, there's deep experiential weight behind those words. Most importantly, though, because of sin, it's not just that we're not at peace with each other and not at peace with creation. We're not at peace with God. We're not at peace with God. Sin is rebellion against God. Sin is is mutiny. It really is a declaration of war against God. It's saying in our pride to God that we think we can do a better job than he can, and we're going to try. And that's why throughout the Bible, people who persist in their sin are described as enemies of God, as alienated and hostile in mind, as doing evil deeds, as those who are at enmity with God. So we were created for peace, but we've lost that peace. And no amount of longing on our part, no amount of labors on our part is sufficient to get that peace Back, many people throughout the history of humanity have tried. And they've tried by military might, and they've tried by politics, and they've tried by social social action, and all of it has come up short. All of it's failed. Why? Because peace is only as powerful as the one who brings it. Peace is only as lasting as the one who secures it. And this is why the the message here from the angels in Luke chapter 2 This theme of it came upon the midnight clear is so incredible. The angels know our longing. They know our need for peace. They've had a view to it from the beginning of humanity. As J.C. Ryle puts it, I put it a number of years ago when he wrote, he said, the angels knew, knew what misery sin had brought into creation. They know the blessedness of heaven and the privilege of an open door to it. Above all, their message shows us the deep love and compassion which the angels feel toward poor lost men. They rejoice at the glorious prospect of many souls being saved. And that's exactly the good news that the angels have come proclaiming. So second, let's talk about good news of peace. Look again there at Luke chapter 2, verse 10. And this, this angel says, Fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. And what is that good news? What is that good news? It's that born that day in Bethlehem, in David's city, is a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Three different names or titles packed into that one phrase. Savior, Christ, 
and Lord. Savior is all about deliverance. It's that Jesus will, uh, this child, Jesus, will deliver us from slavery to sin, will deliver us from sin's power. Christ is a title, uh, which means anointed one. And the angels are saying, they're, they're proclaiming that this child who is born is the Messiah, is the anointed one that has been promised by God for generations. And he's finally now here. And Lord means that this child is not only anointed by God, he is God. He is God. He has the authority. He has the power to overcome sin and death and evil. He has the power to actually bring the peace that you and I so desperately need. See, if peace is, is only as powerful as the one who brings it, then only someone who is Savior, Christ, and Lord can actually bring peace. He alone can put down the, the rebellion against him. He alone can bring reconciliation in all of these dimensions that sin has fractured. Our relationships with each other, our relationships with God's creation, and most importantly, our relationship with God himself. Only the Savior, Christ the Lord, can actually fulfill this ingrained longing we have for peace. And this is no temporary kind of truce either. No brief break in the hostility. As the last stanza of this Christmas carol puts it, a time is coming when peace will over all the earth its ancient splendors fling. And it's saying there in one great line, there was a day, there was an ancient day where peace did rule over all the earth. And there will be a day where peace rules over all the earth again. One day, we looked at this passage last week from Philippians 2, one day, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus is the Savior, the Christ, the Lord. One day, the whole world will join in singing, will, as Edmund Sears put it, send back the song that the angels were singing that night that Jesus was born. What began, what 2,000 years ago was an angelic choir performance actually becomes the global church's anthem. We're not just listening to the angels sing it one day. We are joining in that song for peace, of peace, ourselves. It's our song too. So in this sermon series about Christmas carols, we can't miss the original. We can't miss the original. You could argue that this proclamation from the angels in Luke chapter 2 is the first Christmas carols, the first song sung the night Jesus was born. The glorious song of old, as, as Edmund Sears referred to it. And I don't, I don't suppose uh, we fully know if it was an actual song or not. If it was just a proclamation, a shouting, a song, it's not exactly clear from Scripture. But what an incredible scene to bring this incredible news. A multitude of heavenly hosts, thousands and thousands of these majestic created beings sent not to the wealthy or the prominent or the respected, but sent to lowly shepherds, sent to everyday people, people like you and me. And that means, of course, that the best news in the world is not just for the quote-unquote best people. It's for all people. It's good news of great joy, as the angel says, for all the people, for people in all stations of life, for people from every nation. It's news of peace that is for all people. So our need for peace, good news of peace. Third, let's talk about our neglect of peace. I had a, a moment of panic early this week. Uh, diving into the background of this carol, if it came upon the midnight clear, I realized that I had completely missed something. And more accurately, 
uh, that Edmund Sears, the author of this song, had completely missed, had completely neglected something. So did you notice it when I, when I read the lyrics? And then when soon after that, I read Luke 2, kind of side by side. Did you notice it? In this, in this Christmas carol, there is not a single mention of Jesus or the birth of Jesus. Some of you are kind of scrambling for your papers right now to double check. That's fair. You can totally double check. There's not a mention in the original five stanzas of It Came Upon the Midnight Clear. Uh, it's a song that's very clearly based on this text from Luke 2. Very clearly based on Luke 2. And Luke 2 certainly does talk about the birth of Jesus. But Edmund Sears didn't. He, he wrote a lot about the angels. He wrote a lot about the peace that the angels proclaim. He completely neglects to mention Jesus in this carol. Now here's the background of that. Edmund Sears was a Unitarian minister. Uh, Unitarians are technically what we would define as a cult, uh, an offshoot of Christianity, which shares some common beliefs with Christianity, but rejects Christian doctrine, at least in some certain key areas. And specifically, Unitarians believe in the unity of God. They believe that God is one, as we do as Christians. But Unitarians reject that God is simultaneously uh, eternally existent in three persons. In other words, the Trinity. They reject the doctrine of the Trinity. And most Unitarians, therefore, deny the divinity of Jesus. Uh, to most Unitarians, Jesus is just an incredible human being. He's a great example for us to follow. Uh, Unitarians, for example, celebrate communion like we do, but they don't see it as a sacrament. Uh, they see communion simply as a way of displaying tangibly our commitment to live in community with, with each other. Now, what's embarrassing about all this for me uh, is that the idea behind this whole Christ of the Carols series is that most people don't really listen to the carols. Uh, most people ignore the truths that are in these carols. Most people suppress those truths. And I opened the series last week, if you were here, I opened last week with a question, how about you? Are you really listening? And so I have to confess this morning, apparently I am not. Uh, apparently the most people who aren't listening is also definitely including me. Uh, but here, here's what I'm reflecting on, is, and, I, and I see the, the providence of God in that this week is leading up to this morning. Here's what I realized. To listen closely means we don't just listen to what's there, we also have to listen to what isn't. There's nothing false, there's nothing heretical in the lyrics of It Came Upon the Midnight Clear. It's what the song omits that is the problem. Uh, the birth of Jesus, the name of Jesus, is not mentioned once. And if peace is only as powerful as the one who brings it, think about this, then to omit Jesus from a song about peace is to neglect peace. It's to forfeit any hope you and I have of ever arriving at a place of true peace. If the angels in Luke chapter 2 are not singing about the birth of Jesus, the Savior who is Christ the Lord, what are they singing about at all? All of a sudden, they're no longer messengers who have come to glorify the God of salvation, the God who saves. Now they're just a choir of Miss America contestants. We must, and by we I mean me, I, must listen not only to what's there, but to what isn't. People in, in our world, many people, are happy to speak of God's love, but neglect to speak of God's justice. People are, are happy to speak about God's grace, but neglect his judgment. People are happy to speak of the good news of great joy, but neglect the bad news that makes the good news necessary and makes the good news so good. Along these same lines, we need to pay attention to the omissions of our own lives. 
Right? When, when we think about the ways that we sin, we think about the ways we need to pursue repentance and faith as Christians, we're prone to focus in on what are called sins of commission. The things that we do that we're not supposed to do. Sin we commit, in other words. But sin is also omission. Good things that we are supposed to do, but we neglect, but we fail to do. So life is not just about avoiding theft and murder and adultery and addictions. Even if you can successfully navigate your way through life without those things, if you neglect actual love for God and actual love for other people, the Apostle Paul says, you are nothing. You gain nothing if you don't have actual love for people. Now, thanks be to God, Jesus Christ came into this world to save us from both our commissions and our omissions. All the more reason, all the more reason why we can never omit him. Why we can never omit or neglect him. If there is no Jesus, there is no peace. There is no salvation. So we're going to sing this Christmas carol uh, during communion here in just a minute. But we're actually going to sing it this morning with two brand new verses. Uh, Verses that specifically are injecting what Edmund Sears neglected so many years ago. When I uh, reached out to Jordan on Tuesday in my panic uh, and explained what I had missed, his his response was beautiful. Jordan said, I think we can reclaim this song. He said, I think we can use this song to proclaim the full, richer truth. We can reclaim it. And when he said that, I was like, you know what? That sounds like something Jesus would say. That sounds like something Jesus would say. The one who came into this world to reclaim us, to redeem us from our sins of commission and omission. How fitting is it that this morning we can honor our Redeemer by redeeming a song that in its original Luke 2 form was always all about him anyway. If you flip over that bulletin insert, you're going to see two new stanzas written by our very own Jordan Poor. I'm going to read them for us in just a second. But friends, let this originally Christ-less carol call us to pay attention not only to what's there, but to what isn't. Not only to what people are saying, but what people are neglecting to say. And not only to our sins of commission, but to our sins of omission. And Liberty Church, when we sing this song, just a little bit, Sing these two verses. They're the fourth and the sixth verses, respectively, as we sing it together. Sing these two especially loud. Uh, Peace is only as powerful as the one who brings it. And peace has come through Jesus Christ, who is our Savior, Christ the Lord. Listen to these two stanzas. The angels watch and marvel at the incarnate word made flesh, who condescended to the earth to cancel sinners' debt. For Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, who dwells among us now, and by his sinless, perfect blood, true peace can now be found. And on the day of Christ's return, his second advent come, will join the heavenly angel throng in never-ending song. Worthy, worthy is the Lamb to whom our praises rise, who was and is and is to come, the God-man, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Let me pray for us. Jesus, you are the only hope, the only source of true peace. And that's true for our relationships with each other. That's true for our relationship with the good world you created. And it's true, most importantly, for our relationship with God, our Father. So forgive both of our, both our commissions and our omissions.
Help us be people who pay attention not only to what we hear, but what we don't. And help us to be people even now in this moment as we come to your table who rejoice in, who exalt in the only name under heaven given among men by which we are saved, the name of Jesus Christ. We are grateful to you, Jesus, for your salvation. We pray all this in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Liberty Church. To learn more about our church or to listen to previous recordings, visit www.LibertyHarrisburg.org.